Socialist Republic of New York. New York. There's plenty of money in this country. It's just in the wrong hands. The Moss Show. Politics, current events, and just a bit of Judaism. Two guys that are always right. Except when their wives tell them they're wrong. You're listening to The Moss Show. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Mash Show with myself, Nachman Mistovsky, and Chesky Moskowitz. How you doing, Chesky? How you doing, Nachman? Everything good today? Thank God. Everything is going well by me. So uh, this week is... Well, not in America. Yeah, not in America. This week's been an absolutely crazy week. Um, A whole bunch of what they call mass shootings. There's no real definition for mass shooting, so... Let's just say it was a shooting with, with many people hurt and many people shot and killed. It was a tragedy. Um, I, I'm not sure that blaming inanimate objects is the way to go, but everybody is, 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 is up to, you know, depending on what side you're on in the political spectrum, that's who you blame. Um, it's uh, something that we're going to be talking about in depth today. We're actually going to be having on Jack Posobiec, um, at the bottom of the hour, he's going to talk. He's from OANN, and uh, he knows a lot about this. He's actually, if I remember, a, a uh, he was in the military. He's a, a real patriot. Naval intelligence officer, right? Yeah, naval intelligence officer, a great guy. Uh, he's a reporter on OANN and uh, One America News Network, and a really great guy. Um, he's actually been called, I think. A, He's the only white supremacist who has many, many Orthodox Jews as personal friends of his. So it's an interesting, interesting time. It's, you know, it's, you know, you know, when Ben Shapiro can be called a Nazi and a white supremacist, Jack Posobiec, I guess, can be called that too. So I guess it's not far off. Um, so um, He also happens to be, by the way, a great investigative reporter and oh, amazing. I really urge amazing. people to check, check his work amazing. out. He's done some amazing investigative reporting, really well-researched, good stuff. Yeah. I mean, let's, I, I'd love to start, but I haven't been seeing, I haven't seen this. I mean, by the way, our, our official policy on our show um, is that we do not mention the names or, or the manifestos or anything else of the shooters. We are not going to give them a platform. Giving them a platform is what they want. Um, it's actually with the El Paso shooter. He actually, if I remember, if, if, if I have, I mean, I have it in front of me. He he specifically talks about reading the manifesto manifesto from other shooters, and um, he was um, definitely given given thought that he was going to be given a platform for his idiocy. But there are there is one paragraph. There's, there's some stuff in his in his manifesto that I do want to touch on, and not because it's a, it's the manifesto. It, it's it's because of how the media is turning, is absolutely turning what he wrote into into racism. Now the guy is a racist. I'm, I'm not going to get it. He has a lot of racism in here. But what they are using, and I'm 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 just going to go through. I'm just going to go through here. Okay, I'm on. You know, right now I have up, I have The Hill, 
and I have, um, no, I'm sorry, not the hill. I have the Mother Jones, which is a left-wing newspaper or online blog or whatever you want to call it. The New York Times, all, all the news that's fit to print unless a crowd of people attack you on Twitter for making a headline, so then you go and change it, which is what happened today. And I also have some other, uh, we'll just use those two, um, and I also have Huffington Post, another wonderful uh, uh, news outlet. So, so in, there's a sentence in the manifesto, and I'm going to read it. This is the sentence. If we can get rid of enough people, then our way of life can become more sustainable. Now, that's the sentence that they're using. So you, you heard that? You heard that, Fesky? That, that sounds I don't understand what he's, I don't understand no, 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 what he's but saying. But, but, th but that's, that, I mean, if the guy's a racist, it's a pretty racist comment to make. If we can get rid of enough people, then our way of life can become more sustainable. So how, do, how, does, how does Huffington Post do this? So Huffington Post has this as their sub-headline, meaning the headline is El Paso Terrorism Suspects Alleged Manifesto Highlights Ecofascism Revival, right? Now, they don't mention that ecofascism is a completely on the left. Um, and they used to call it eco-terrorism, by the way. They're trying to call it eco-fascism now because they always have been tying fascism with the right, even though fascism is a complete – they're progressives. The, both Hitler, Mussolini – But you're saying fascist, like he's like tr this guy, right? But he's basically saying animal, like he's animal this, this is animal. He's a left-winger. Wait, this left-wing – this guy's talking about e – that's what he means in that line? I was Hold not on. sure when you One said second. it. Okay. So the, the racist rant invades against environmental destruction and calls for mass killing to make the American way of life, in quotes, more sustainable, in quotes. It's not unique, okay? So, so filled with the white nationalist diatribes against race mixing and the Hispanic invasion of Texas, the manifesto highlights far-right extremist budding revival of eco-fascism. So, Eco-anything has never been on the right, ever. That ever. is for sure true. Well, who, who on the right, the only, the only on the right thinks about that? The only well, we we have reservationists on our side, true reservationists on our side. People that believe in cutting down trees and forests so that so that forests can be made healthy. In California, you have huge forest fires because no one's deforesting. Okay. Um, right, but that doesn't mean that we believe that you should be killing people so that way you can no, 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 actually. Hold on. Hold on one second. Correct. Now, now. They go to explain that this sentence has to do with Mexicans and, 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 and colored people, you know, irrelevant. Let's go, over, okay. let's go over to Mother Jones, you know, okay? Uh, also, using where racism and ecofascism meet. Now, I, I don't know about you. I haven't heard the term ecofascism. I don't know ever. This was, this was clearly invented within 15 seconds of this tragedy and was pushed out probably through Soros funded uh, agenda-driven organizations, which is what all of these newspapers are connected through. Um, it proposed genocide as a pathway to ecological sustainability. First of all, killing people for ecological sustainability has been something that the left has been doing since the early 1900s. Planned Parenthood is one of them. The Nazi death camp were another. FDR yeah, they, they call it Le Lebensullen. Breathing they, they, room. They, right. They, that was what the Germans called. This is a far left agenda to the extent where, where, where um, um, the, the, the progressives have always thought of this as scientific. So, you know, now they're running away from it. It doesn't sound so good, but um, where is it here? Uh, blamed immigrants for hastening the environmental destruction of the United States. Okay. 
So it's, it's immigrants' fault, which is going to be Trumpian, which is all Trump's fault. And then you have the New York Times um, uh, also using the same terminology. Um, it spoke of the Hispanic invasion of Texas deal to plant to separate Americans and territories by race, which is true. It does talk about that. Um, and then it says, the manifesto that may be linked to Mr. Cruz described an imminent attack and railed against immigrants, saying, if we can get rid of enough people, then our way of life can be more sustainable. Okay. Now, I wanna, I'm going to read something to you, and you tell me, who does it sound like? I want you to tell me which one of the 20,000 people running for the Democrat presidential primary, I think every mm -hmm. registered, I'm pretty sure every registered Democrat in America is running. The American lifestyle affords our citizens an incredibly quality of, incredible quality of life. However, our lifestyle is destroying the environment of our country. The decimation of the environment is creating a massive burden for future generations. Corporations are heading, corporations are heading the destruction of our environment by shamelessly over-harvesting over resources. This has been a problem for decades. For example, this phenomenon is brilliantly portrayed in the decades-old classic, The Lorax. Watersheds around the country, especially in agricultural areas, are being depleted. Fresh water is being polluted from farming and oil drilling operations. Consumer culture is creating thousands of tons of unnecessary plastic waste and electronic waste, and recycling to help slow this down is almost non-existent. Urban sprawls creates inefficient cities, which unnecessarily destroys millions of acres of land. We even use God knows how many trees worth of paper towels just to wipe water off our hands. Everything I have seen and heard in my short life has led me to believe that the average American isn't willing to change their lifestyle, even if the changes only cause a slight inconvenience. The government is unwilling to tackle these issues beyond empty promises since they are owned by corporations. Corporations they, that also like immigration because more people means a bigger market for their products. I just want to say that I love the people of this country, but goddamn most of you all are just too stubborn to change your lifestyle. So the next logical step is to decrease the number of people in America using resources. That sounds like it can come out of Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, Bill de Blasio, or any one of the other communists that are running for president on the Democrat side. All this talks about is corporations, how corporations are de destroying the world, how, how people use plastic. The last sentence of this paragraph if we can get rid of enough people, then our way of life can become more sustainable. He's talking about getting rid of Americans. Not Mexicans. He's not, talking, he's not talking about getting... He is trying to inspire people to commit people. crimes against Americans, plain and simple. And he, this animal, is too big of a coward to do that. So therefore, he went and he killed immigrants and, I believe, shielded his entire agenda... Correct. As, as a quote-unquote racist, uh, uh, you know, quote-unquote a racist yes. agenda, so that way it shields the true underlying agenda that he's trying to propagate. Correct. Correct. Now, what's interesting is, what's interesting is, this guy actually had a, a working a working knowledge of 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 uh, guns, which is which is interesting. They usually don't. Um, they usually just know what they know from games. But it seems that this guy actually knew a little bit about guns and what to use. What's interesting is, I don't know if people have been to Walmarts around the country. Many Walmarts are, are very, are structured in certain ways where they lend themselves to certain, um, ge by, by geography, to certain types of people. So I was in Florida mm -hmm. uh, about a year ago, and I needed to go to Walmart. I needed to buy something quickly. I was, I was traveling, and I went into a Walmart in the Miami area, and I, and I kid you not, Nobody spoke English, and I'm including the employees. 
Now, I'm right. not saying this to be racist. I went around. I was having trouble finding what I needed. I was asking random people around, you know, because I'm not from there, so people that are shopping, sometimes people just know where things are in the store. Nobody, nobody spoke English, which is fine. Yeah, fine with me. I care less. But when I found those right. people in those blue jackets with the uh, little sunshine thing, the, whole, the, the Walmart sign, they didn't speak English either. And I, even when I found one of the managers in that, in, I think it was North Miami Beach or something like that, um, also, very, very small command of the English language. I said, you know what? I'm leaving. I left because I saw on Waze there was another Walmart about five-minute drive in the direction that I was going anyways. I went to that one, and it was entirely white. Entirely white. Like, no Latino people, no... I mean, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't only white. It was, it was purely English-speaking. Um, and when I said that to one of the employees, I said, you know, I was just at another store about five minutes from here, and I couldn't get any employees to help me find this item. They're like, oh, yeah, that store, that store, that, no one speaks English in that store. English speakers come to this store. So they clearly have stores that are geared, which is fine. It's fine. It's a business model that they have. It's fine by me. I could care less. You know, uh, capitalism, they, they'll, they're, they're going to they're gonna do what's good for business. That's 100% fine. Now, I, I do think they should have managers that speak English, but what I was ta- I, I, I have a friend who lives in this area in Dallas. It seems that this, this Walmart is very similar to that Walmart that I went to in Miami. It's almost mm-hmm. entirely Spanish-speaking. Most of the English-speaking people in that area go to a Walmart that's about 15 to 20 minutes away or go to the Sam's Club that's close by. So this person went to this store knowing, A, no one was shooting back. Because I was told that that guy would have walked into the Sam's Club doing that. He would have been put down in a matter of seconds. Because there's a reason why most massive shootings um, happen in areas that have no one to shoot back. Because they know, you know the movie, the movie shoot, the, the shooter in the movie theater during, I think it was the Batman movie. The reason he picked that theater, there were something like 13 movie theaters that were closer to that shooter, okay? And the reason of he course. went to that one was because there was a big sign on the door. You know what it said, Kuski? I bet you What did it say? Guess. I bet you can guess. What no guns. Say? No guns allowed on premises. <laughs> they say that also at every single school. Yeah. Doesn't seem to stop the shooters ever. I know. It's amazing how people that want to commit crimes don't follow laws. I'm telling you, we should make more laws to make sure that the people who don't keep the laws can break more laws. Correct. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> um, I, I think it was in Oklahoma, about a year, uh, right after one of the mass shootings about two years ago. I, I'm pretty sure it was, it was either, it was one of the bordering states of Texas. So it was either... What is it? Uh, New Mexico, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana. One of those. One of those. Uh, Kansas, maybe okay. in there too. Kansas, Colorado. It was one of those states down there. Maybe as far as Missouri, there was a mall there um, that yeah. had a no. Even though these states are very gun friendly, um, there was a mall, a big mall there that has a no gun policy. There was a family family there from Texas. A a a criminal pulled out his gun and started shooting. From what I remember reading, standing not five feet away with his entire family was a Texan carrying his gun, not knowing that this mall had this rule. He pulled out his gun at a point-blank range, put the animal down, put him out of his misery. 
One, You're one saying guns people, can actually one kill or two bad people? people? Were shot. <laughs> one or two or three people were shot. No one was killed. But that would have been an absolute disaster had that Texan not been there. You know, the saying, don't mess with Texas. That there's a reason why it's very it's rare for these things to happen in Texas and in other states like Texas. These tend to happen in places that are gun-free zones, like schools, like malls, like bowling alleys, places where these store owners think that they'll be safer if, if they can get people not to bring their guns. It's a shame. It really is, and I think that, like, the problem is that the politicians are just so, are so out of touch, you know? They... They just don't see the reality, and and they blame and they blame Trump. Are, they blame Trump. Yeah, because people are emotional, and a lot of the laws that we're hearing being thrown around these like these last couple hours has been just about more of the same. Just more, more of, of the, the same, same, you know. Let's 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 take this red flag law for example, right? And a lot of our friends in Congress are for this. They're actually pushing it. Right, 100%. And it's really weird because, like, you know, okay, fine. It, so- it sounds beautiful on the outside and, like, you know, want, but, but what happens if that law would be abused? Which is, by the way, one of the reasons why the NRA, for the most part, opposes these kind of laws. They're, because that what the happens, law, they are for the red flag. Well, Listen, they, you know what? They're for some of them. The problem with these terms, red flag law, there's, like, seven states, I think, that have it. And they're all different. One state, there's actually a, 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 um, a, not a police commissioner, but a sheriff or a county sheriff or, or a marshal or something who's actually pr- proposed, was one of the proponents of it. But then when it got marked up in, what, in their state legislature, it got made to the point where the sheriff's like, well, you now passed a law, which I can't, you guys didn't write the law properly. And I can't actually enforce it because I'm pretty sure that if I go into someone's house without permission, I am, I'm, I'm committing a crime. Like, they're, they're not, that's the problem. They, they don't do this properly. They go and they blame Trump. I know you got a lot of, a lot of, um, uh, you got a lot, you, you tweeted something about, about Trump, if, if I remember correctly, and you got, you got a lot of uh, feedback on that, how they were blaming Trump. Yeah, yeah well, because, like, as you know, Barack Obama opened up his wonderful, beautiful mouth and decided that it's his job, you know, because Obama still thinks he's still relevant anymore. I mean, Carter-esque type of um, behavior came out and criticized it. I'll be not directly, but he basically said, you know, there are, the leaders of this country are inflaming um, the racial tensions and, and in, I think- their inflammatory languages yeah. creating hate and all this kind of nonsense. Now, in the meantime, let's make one thing clear. The racial divide in this country has been never greater, and it is all because of Obama. Correct. Because of calling a middle Americans cling to their Bibles and guns and their religion. Well, I mean, Trump shot back, and I think he's right. Did George Bush ever condemn President Obama after Sandy Hook? President Obama had 32 mass shootings during his reign. Not many people said Obama is out of control. Mass shootings were happening before the president even thought of running for president. Okay. Now let's yeah. analyze that tweet for a second, okay? Well, I actually have Trump, a list here. In two, I'm in just going to tell you. Yeah. Trump, you could tell, and you were able to tell this from 
his uh, from his prep from his press briefing yesterday in the morning when he gave his statement. He was a broken man. Yes, so he's that not, you could really see that it really pains him that this is happening. This is not this is not politics for him. Americans were killed in two instances. And, and, and the Obama administration. Let's not forget what happened by one of the mass shootings. Let's not. What was it? What, what did what did his chief of staff say? Let's not let let's not let a a uh, let a opportunity, opportunity go to waste, go to waste or something like after that. After one of the mass shootings. So so this is Obama's one to talk. So in 2019, there's been you know one there's been one two three four five six seven what they call mass shootings. Uh, 2018 mm-hmm. had two four five six seven eight nine ten about uh, twelve. But let's go let's go back let's go back to 2017, right? Let's go back to 2017. Yeah. 71 people killed, 83 wounded. 2015, 46 killed, 43 wounded. 2014, 17 killed, 28 wounded. 2013, 31 killed, 13 wounded. 2012, 67 killed, 68 wounded. 2011, 18 killed, 21 wounded. 2010, 8 killed, 2 wounded. 2009, 38 killed, 37 wounded. 2008, 16 killed, 24 wounded. This is all under Obama's watch. Kilworth, Missouri. DeKalb, Illinois. Uh, Henderson, Kentucky. Binghamton, New York, Carthage, North Carolina, Fort Hood, Texas, Parkland, Washington, Manchester, Connecticut, Tucson, Arizona, Seal Beach, California, Carson City, Nevada, Seattle, Washington, Oakland, California, Macross, Georgia, Aurora, Colorado, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Oak Creek, Wisconsin, Newton, Newton, Newtown, Connecticut, Herkimer County, New York, Santa Monica, California, Federal Way, Washington, Washington, D.C., Hilly, Florida, Fort Hood, Texas, Altruist, California, Marysville, Washington, Santa Barbara, California, Charleston, South Carolina, Menasha, Wisconsin, Roseburg, Oregon, Chattanooga, Tennessee, Colorado Springs, Colorado, Colorado Springs, Colorado, two separate ones, San Bernardino, California, Henston, Kansas, Kalamazoo County, Mississippi, Orlando, Florida, uh, uh, Dallas, Texas, Burlington, Washington, Boton Rouge, uh, Louisiana. This is, those places that I just mentioned, those are all under Obama, every single one of them. But of course, no one blamed Obama then. Why not? He must be a racist. No, it, I'll tell you why they didn't blame Obama and Ahmed. Because the media loved Obama. Right. They and, were infatuated who, with him. He was the great knows, messiah. You know, we have on the line someone that knows this very, very, very well. We have Jack Posobiec on. Jack Posobiec is a naval... Uh, I, I, I think it's a, 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 I think they say retired. Uh, different, different forms of the military um, um, use different terms. But I'm pretty sure he's a far right wing, alt right, um, was it racist, bigoted, anti Semitic um, uh, naval intelligence officer. I think I got all of the um, titles that he's been given over the years by the fake news media. Jack, I have them all right. I got them all in there. Yeah, I, uh, here I am on, on J Tribe Radio, you know, uh, just right. uh, hanging out with. With two of my friends, so uh, I, I think the only one I think of those I'll actually talk to is uh, former naval intelligence officer. Uh, who, former, uh, there we go, right? Uh, there I, we I go. think that's the only one. That's, yeah, the other are the uh, pejoratives that they they like to lob right. at anyone who you know doesn't so quite agree it, with their it, line of thinking. When is it former? When is it retired? What's the when, what's the difference? So retired is someone who formally serves twenty years and receives a retirement. So essentially, it used to mean you got your pension. So 20 years and out was the formal uh, designation. Uh, so the reason I don't say retired is because I did not do 20 and out. Gotcha. That's, that's when you've so, done a career. So that means retired. 
Uh, Mike, so Mike, Jack, my, you're not going to go back. <laughs> you're not planning on going back and uh, doing uh, another couple uh, tours, are you? I uh, wouldn't rule it out. Wow. But, uh, okay, you, heard that first. you heard that, I, people. I that, that all depends on if Mrs. Posobiec would, uh, would let me know. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Very so, Jack, tell me. Tell me one thing. The media's reaction to this whole series of unfortunate events, right? My, truly mind-boggling how they totally are glossing over the shooter in Ohio and his totally radical leftist um, Antifa persona, no? Well, it's quite remarkable because when you look at it, we had a situation here where for the first time actually in essentially less than 24-hour period, two mass shootings, one which took place, this guy was a, a racist, white supremacist in El Paso, and then another shooting committed by someone who is completely separate political extremist uh, of, of a far-left supporter of the Antifa movement. And if you look at some of the Twitter activity, and at One American News we've uh, captured and archived uh, that mass shooter's Twitter account because it really was the first time that we had a window into someone's radicalization on a day-to-day -day basis through the Twitter account and through the activity that was on that account. And so we can actually see that in the hours prior to the Dayton shootings, there were numerous tweets about the El Paso shooting. There was interaction with it. There was agreement uh, with, with responding how should we respond to the El Paso shooting, uh, talking about killing fascists, talking about taking up arms, right? But how come fact, no one right. talks about the fact that the guy in El Paso is not a right-winger? He's an environmentalist. Right, and you, can, you could look at the various... Uh, He's all over the map. ...beliefs that fall into... Well, if you understand the ideology of national socialism, which is, at its, which is what white supremacy has as its core, then you realize that this is something that does actually embrace ideas that are typically favored on the left, things like universal health care, universal education, uh, pro, you know, extreme pro-environment, extreme anti-corporation, only it does so through an ethnic lens. Right. So in other words, right. the, 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 just, just like the Jews in, in Germany, everybody should have a, a car except for the Jews and the Poles and, and the Russians. Just the Germans should have everything. They right. So they're, they're, they believe in, and this, this is, you know, gets into the ideology itself, they believe in an ethnic-based socialism that is the core of the term national socialism from where we get the original term Nazi. Right. So we can say with, that, with certainty that this guy who did the El Paso shooting, he was a white supremacist? According to that manifesto, which has been reported as his. Okay. So then, I mean, so then, listen, so then, so then what we're seeing here through this manifesto is that a white nationalist is not, is, is not necessarily pro-economy. Like, yeah, like, I guess, like a political conservative like Richard Spencer. Republican. Richard Spencer's a socialist. He's publicly said it on television. He's a socialist. He just likes, he just liked the wool part of, Ch the only thing he likes about Trump when he was running was the wool. Jack, what do you think? 
I do think that this gets into a bigger question of political ideology, whereas conservatives typically stand for free markets, stand for competitive enterprise, stand for individual rights, the classic liberties, the Bill of Rights. Of course, we've seen uh, socialists and the varying flavors of socialists that are out there, the varying degrees of socialists. Those are the ones that are that believe in state power first. And a lot of this, of course, goes back to uh, atheistic nihilism. It goes into postmodernism. It goes into mm-hmm. this idea that if you get rid of God, then you must replace God with the state. And therefore, instead of God being uh, the source of our rights and where all rights are defined, the state becomes the source of our rights and where all rights are defined. And some people have interpreted that uh, in, in the Soviet Union. That was interpreted to be uh, universal communism and so the, the push for the communist international was was done through uh the communist movement antifa was founded uh in part in places like italy and germany in the 1920s and 30s as part of this movement and then we see that again in terms of the fascist movement where again the state becomes the replacement for god but it's done so through an ethnic uh, racial lens rather than this belief of individual liberties that come from God. So, like, if I understand you correctly, so basically you're saying it's like the difference between this white nationalist, like, so basically we're seeing here a very interesting, like, um, like, I, I guess you could say, like, we're seeing, like, two sides of the coin, so to speak. We're seeing, on one hand, we're seeing a, seeing a shooter who's a white nationalist um, whose ideology is truly really modern in socialism, but specifically targeted for a superior ethnic race. While at the same time, we see on the other flip side, we see another shooter who's a, I guess you could call him like an Antifa terrorist, but he's also promoting very similar ideas, and he was an Elizabeth Warren fan. So, like, where, do, do Antifa and white nationalists, like, do they actually agree on probably most of, the, of their ideals? Of course. I think so, like, they, the would, uh, thing that they first disagree, disagree yeah, what with saying? that, just in the sense that they, they certainly do hate each other very much, uh, and, and there's obviously been a lot of violence between the two groups. But I do think that it's correct to say that those groups are on the far extreme, and the vast majority of people in mainstream, whether it be conservative political thought or liberal political thought, are not agreeing with those extremes of Antifa or the white nationalists. So why are the candidates of the Democratic Party trying to push this agenda in, in one way or another to different levels of extremism? Why are they trying to, like, I guess, why are they trying to placate this fringe group? Is that because that, like, millennials are increasingly prone to extremism on either side? Well, it may be because the term socialism itself uh, isn't given the same amount of weight that it once was during the Cold War. Millennials, uh, myself being one, you know, we grew up with the end of the Soviet Union really being our first remembrance of socialism, communism. And so this was an ideology that was seen as defeated, but also seen as something that had been part of the past, whereas they've now basically started a new marketing campaign for socialism by calling it democratic socialism. The Democrat Socialists of America is a strong uh, and growing movement, which is closely aligned with the Antifa movement. Um, Essentially, Antifa does a lot of recruiting at DSA events. Which is Uh, interesting because if you know the history of of Antifa, 
they were very against the social democrats back in the day. They actually believed in in hardcore socialism, not that you know milk toast socialism. They're all socialists. It's just a matter of how how fast do you want to get to that? It's utopia. an accelerationist element. So typically, right. well, they they all, they're all trying the to get to the utopia. They're all right. trying they're, to get to the utopia. They are political revolutionaries in the sense that uh, I think a democratic socialist wants to work within the system, whereas Antifa wants to embrace that violent anarchism to completely revolutionize the system, to overthrow uh, the system, the government, the political system of the United States, and replace it with their own ideology. Right. What, what is that? How, and Jack, you're like one of, like, in my opinion, one of the leading experts on this topic. So, like, in your opinion, what would Antifa, like, replace what we have now? Like, what, what, in, an, in, an, in an Antifa society, what could we be looking at? Well, you're going to be looking at something that's the modern-day re- recurrence of what happened in communist Cuba, what happened in the Soviet Union, what happened uh, across Eastern Europe after World War II, uh, communist China, uh, during, and, and, and certainly the earlier version of communist China, not what we see today, but really that, that Chairman Mao's China or the Khmer Rouge, uh, these are the types of violent upheavals that they would embrace. And what's interesting is that these, uh, if you go through the history of those communist movements and the, those communist uh, failed experiments, they never quite seem to get to the utopia because the violence and the purges and the remaking of society typically consume their time and effort. But are Antifa willing to have a leader like Mao? I feel like their anarchist leanings would disable their ability to have an institution. Well, if what happens is, is that the leader kills a few of the people in charge and then everyone falls into place. <laughs> what do you think, Jack? I think that because... And just, just going back to the shooter for example, uh, and, the, and the evidence that we're able to see, the, the facts, the tweets that we're able to capture and, uh, and connect directly to him, the fact that he embraced certain candidates, even though they were certainly, I, I don't think that Bernie Sanders is Antifa, I don't think that Elizabeth Warren is an Antifa supporter, uh, but the fact that members of the Antifa movement would be willing to support these leaders rather than call for straight anarchy and complete anarchy directly would seem to suggest that there is a possibility for a strong, charismatic leader to step in and take over that movement. The same way that it would, uh, obviously, part of the danger would exist for white nationalists should a strong, charismatic leader step up to, uh, to be a leader of that movement. Yes, if you actually watch the white nationalist community, if you track them, you realize that they've been very upset with President Trump. They are, they are very against President Trump, uh, not in small part due to his support for Israel, uh, his support for uh, the uh, moving the embassy and various pro-Israel initiatives that he's pushed. And so they, they believe that President Trump is, is not a white nationalist, and obviously President Trump has, has denounced them on multiple occasions going back 20 years. And so that's a movement, and Antifa is a movement, that are currently leaderless, but should someone charismatic, strong step forward, uh, I think they could be embraced, and then it would create a very, very dangerous situation. 
Wow, that's such an interesting analysis. You're saying that they are leaderless now, but at the same time, they theoretically could have a strong, charismatic leader on either side. But, like, would the American people buy into it with a strong Hitler-esque type character? Well, it's really a question of numbers, right? You know, when Hitler was elected in, in, uh, in Germany, he only had 30-some percent of the vote. Um, these organizations, right. I don't think they're anywhere close to that. But in extreme circumstances, people do turn to a leader like this. Uh, and so given the rise of the Internet as well, it is possible for someone to come out and have a distributed message very quickly to be embraced by either of these movements uh, and then lead that forward, maybe not necessarily into a political campaign or uh, running for office, but potentially what we would see more is a, a geographically distributed, uh, decentralized movement. That's why I'm, I'm being very clear to refer to these as movements, because I think that's a better title for it than uh, a, a group with a, a sort of group hierarchy. I mean, it's right, and you, you see that, by the way. Mikheski, you have to you see that something. Se Senator Tim Kaine, okay, he was the, the, the Democrat vice president nominee. His son was arrested as an Antifa guy. So this is, this is, this is a serious, this, this organization has serious, serious ties to the Democrat Party. Yeah, but I don't think it's fair to say that the Democrats encourage. Are, are, not, not that, I don't think it's fair to say that the Democrats are like a sponsor of the movement. But I think that they 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 are they are split either or are not willing to criticize because they either agree. Like I feel like AOC probably agrees to some extent with Antifa. I remember there was like that uh, clip that was circling around where a reporter asked her to condemn Antifa and she wouldn't. And then you have like the Steny Hoyers and I guess Nancy Pelosi types who are, I assume, utterly mortified by what ha is becoming. What do you think, Jack? Well, to, to put it back in a political analysis, and that's what we do here at One American News in, in, you know, in Wisconsin, in Washington, D.C., as I am right now, uh, we've seen Republicans, clearly President Trump, on multiple occasions be extremely willing to condemn white nationalism, to condemn white supremacy, and to condemn political violence. You don't see the same condemnation of Antifa from the left. You don't see this from elected leaders. You don't see this from the political leaders, the party officials, and you don't even see it from left-wing uh, media. Chris Cuomo at CNN has on multiple occasions given cover to Antifa. He's compared them to uh, the, the soldiers, the U.S. soldiers in World War II at Normandy. Uh, and he's, he said uh, this, this infamous quote that not all punches are equal, essentially st saying that <laughs> Antifa violence is not equivalent to other violence. It's so strange how they could, like, how a human being, and this is like what like we spoke about before, by the way, like how there are godless people. Like when you don't have God in your life and you don't have values, then you're able to espouse such nonsense, you know? An eye for an eye, as the Bible says. It's all equal. There's no such thing. If you, if you damage someone, it doesn't matter who you are. You have to pay those damages, well, you know? Well, you have to understand, Antifa, Antifa is, is the reason why I think Antifa, you're seeing, you're seeing so many people go to Antifa. Number one, a lot of these people, they started out in those protests against Wall Street, in, in New York, and that went nowhere. And then they started with Bernie Sanders, and that went nowhere. So a lot of them got very jaded. A lot of them, because of sociology classes they've taken, actually believe that speech 
speech or hate speech or whatever you want to call it is actually harming them. So if somebody is talking to you and, and, and using the wrong words and, he's, and that you consider that to be physical assault, well, they believe they're just defending themselves. This is insanity. They think that taking a bat to somebody's head because they use the wrong pronoun is okay because it's just self-defense. They've said this many times. We're just doing self-defense. Yeah, I mean, and there's also what a else? belief within uh, the anti-fascist movement that because, and we saw this in, in J20, um, J20 was January 20th, the inauguration day of, of President Trump, uh, on, on J19, actually, the night before, Antifa attacked uh, myself, attacked my guests, my family, as we were holding a, a pre-inauguration gala uh, in Washington, D.C. They came out, they threw batteries at us, eggs, uh, they attacked police officers. They caught That was the deplorable, right? Yes, it was the deplorable, so I was one of the organizers of that event. Um, then the next I'm day, coming to this, uh, by the way, Jack, you're inviting me to... Deplorable 2.0 in 2021, absolutely, right? Absolutely, you'll be a featured speaker. <laughs> and so we then saw the next day the group disrupt J20. Um, and, and by the way, they had had people who were arrested prior to this because they were planning actual chemical attacks of our uh, of our party of our our event. Uh, they were going to use butyric acid and try to put it through the air vents in the in the That's air system. Insane. At the National Press Club, unfortunately, uh, James O'Keefe, Project Veritas, stepped in. We alerted them to what was going on. They were able to get some of this on tape, get that over to the Washington police, and uh, and that, that individual was arrested for conspiracy to commit terrorism against our group. Um, we also saw the next day they tried to disrupt the inauguration of the President of the United States. This was Disrupt J20. Now, through that day specifically, we also saw not just disruption, protests, riots, uh, we saw attacks on businesses in Washington, D.C., uh, Starbucks, uh, where windows smashed and was set on fire, uh, a private limousine was set on fire that day. And within the anti-fascist movement, there's a belief that the ownership of, and this is, this is, this is Marxist, uh, the ownership of personal or private property is by itself theft because the owners of that property were not the, uh, the builders, the laborers in some cases. So because it is theft of their labor, uh, of the workers, therefore violence against that theft is justified because you are attacking thieves. And so that is how they were able to justify the destruction of private property. So it's like a Robin Hood. It's like a Robin Hood. Uh, so it's basically they, make, they think they're Robin Hood. Yes, but in the sense that you you smash the uh, the sheriff of Nottingham's windows and you and you don't do nothing for the poor. Right. I don't and, recall. And they're usually ever, black, ever they're usually running breaking a, the windows you know, of black drive for poverty. Right, but it's funny because Antifa is usually just breaking windows. Besides those companies like you know Wachovia Bank, they're also breaking like the Seven Eleven owned by a minority family or a bodega or a suit store. They just, they just go up and down the blocks, breaking everything. That's right. There's also been, in, in Philadelphia specifically, a string of arson attacks and sabotage that I've been tracking that goes back two years where they're targeting a specific developer uh, who they claim is gentrifying neighborhoods. And uh, this guy, he'll keep trying to build uh, new 
uh, housing, build new apartment buildings, and they, they attack it. They set it on fire. They typically focus around May 1st, May Day, which is a communist holiday, uh, in order to conduct these attacks. And they've, they've caused, in some cases, serious damage. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, this, is, this, is, this is a group that Chris Cuomo says is a good cause, what do you say? I have been with these people. You can talk about them. I have watched them in the streets protesting in different situations. There's certainly aspects of them that are true to a cause. That's a good cause. They want social justice and whatever they want in that context. Hey, Chris Cuomo is a lunatic. He's out of his mind. Wait, Jack, Jack, but like what? How do these guys like Chris Cuomo? How do they rationalize their support for these guys? When don't they realize that, like, they're the first ones who, like, these Antifa folks are going to come for when they crack down and build their utopian society? Like, why is the media so gung-ho about promoting these guys? Sarah Sarah Sidner, also from CNN, CNN loves Antifa, wrote about, specifically, she said this specifically about Antifa attacking cops and reporters, insisting that the actions only came about because the neo-Nazis, whatever those are, that spurred the protest, that not, they said that, that she said, Antifa says that nonviolence hasn't worked. And she said, and that, we're going, and then we're going to try to stop this. She, She condoned Antifa beating cops up. Right. There's, there have been instances where Antifa will go out to uh, conduct demonstration. And essentially what, what's, what's happening with the journalists or the media that are covering it is that they're, they're getting lost in the talking points. They're getting lost in the propaganda and disinformation that Antifa and they're masters. They're absolute masters of disinformation. They're absolute masters of manipulating the media. So the media is falling for disinformation campaigns, uh, such as the name itself, Antifa, right? Anti-fascism. And so Antifa will, uh, will falsely claim that anyone who is opposed to them must therefore be a fascist because in their name, they're, they are anti-fascist. Well, if, uh, if you really think that Antifa just means anti-fascism, then I've got bad news for you about buffalo wings, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, you, you have, know, you have Michael Eric Dyson. That, Michael Eric, again, Michael Eric Dyson calls it manipulation. They manipulate language. They manipulate words uh, to to essentially spread disinformation that then gets picked up by the media, and that's what you're seeing. Right, but when Michael Eric so Dyson. Well, my, Michael Eric Dyson says that Antifa is like a cancer treatment and that radiation is tough treatment and it's meant to remove the cancer. So Antifa has got to be tough because it's like, it's like uh, radiation. Are they falling for propaganda or are they the propagandists themselves? That's my question. Yeah, correct. That gets obviously into a, a much deeper philosophic question, but I think what you're seeing in some of these instances in general is the degree by which partisanship and partisan politics have played out into mainstream media, certainly in the corporate media, to the fact where people have become absolutely blind to some of the implications of the things that they're saying. So that's crazy. So basically what you're saying is, is that a lot of these people are just innocently buying into this entire story. I think it's a spectrum. I think it's a spectrum. And do you feel like there's anybody, I, I, I don't know of anybody, do you think that there's anybody who buys into the white nationalist narrative on our side of the aisle? Uh, in the sense that, uh, that, that I don't think there's any mainstream conservatives who are supporting uh, 
uh, racial supremacism of, of any color. But I don't it, it, goes see, a, it goes against everything that the liberty I, movement is for. I don't see, uh, yeah, I don't see people uh, in high platforms or, or high, we would know, right? <laughs> They'd be right, exactly, 100%. Targets immediately if they were supporting violence or supporting racial superiority in right. any form. No, these, no. these are not conservative ideals. These are not 100%. ideas that find themselves uh, anywhere within, within the, uh, as you put it, the so, liberty movement. I mean, I, people always... So why, me, no, so like, yeah, not going to go. I, I'm going to say, like, cause the, 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 prob, the problem that I think of the American conservative movement has, and this is something that I think the conservative movement needs to, needs to I, I, don't, I, don't know what, I don't know what the answer is, but we have, a, we have a serious problem. We use terms that the rest of the world uses also. So we have right-wing, left-wing, right, conservative, liberal. The problem is, if you go to England, right, or Europe, conservative and liberal don't mean the same things they mean here. Because what ha- in Europe, Europe is entirely socialist. Even England, the Conservative Party in England is is quasi-socialist. They're not outside of outside of one or two prime ministers they've had in the, in, uh, in their in, in their party. The, their, their, the conservatism that they are conserving is not the liberty movement of America. It's really the king and queen. So they're they're really not. You know, it's it's the pop and circumstance of that country. So so they're Tories. So they're the people that the Americans fought against, literally. It was the Tories. So, so it's, it's weird. In Europe, you have the right and the left, but they, all, they both sat on the spectrum of socialism. So you had right-wing socialism and left-wing socialism. The right-wings were, were, were the fascists, and the left-wings were the, were, were, were the communists. In America, they all sit on the left, because we have an actual right wing here that's liberty. And on our sides, we have right and left, where we have the conservative movement to the libertarian movement. But anyone that believes in government control of anything goes on the left. No? That's absolutely right. And what, what you're doing is uh, you're outlining the differences in the spectrum that I think uh, from a political science perspective, from folks who actually understand these different ideologies and understand where they're coming from, that uh, people in the media who are reporting on these individuals and reporting on these movements typically will fall into um, fall into sort of a, a low information category where they're actually mislabeling things. Uh, someone actually had a good quote the other day. They said, "You know, why is Donald Trump denouncing something that he's never supported?" <laughs> but you see, you said that they're, 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 they're misinformed. Do you think they're misinformed, or do you think they're doing the misinforming? Meaning, are they are they sitting down and, and are they making a conscious decision to lie, or are they so? I mean, I think Chris Cuomo's stupid. Um, um, I think Mark Levin always calls him the, <laughs> the dumbest Cuomo brother. I think that's what Mark Levin's name for him is. But but I mean, do you think that Don Lemon is really this stupid? I know he's an alcoholic. I think it's a spectrum of, of people who are uh, either just themselves misinformed or people who are just so partisan that they see what they're doing through some kind of misguided moral lens because of their partisanship, extreme partisanship. Which is a big problem in the media that there's so, that that there's such that they've become so partisan. Um, but at the same time, I think as a reaction, we're seeing on the right. A big drive and push to um, to partisan like I, for the partisanization par, <laughs> of of our media. And do you feel like that's like 
like a like a natural like a natural evolution or progression like that like people look at like Fox News is not supportive enough of our ideals so to speak like you guys guys like anchors like Sheb Smith who are a total disaster for my in my opinion and like like a lot of people like that watch Fox News during those hours just want to shut it off and probably they switch to OAN or something like that um do you think that, that like we're going to see that happening more that the, the, that we're going to have net our net that we're going to be creating networks that are going to be just as partisan as CNN and MSNBC are, or like are we going to be able to walk that wire so to speak and just be good rational um, journalists? You know, I think it's actually starting to to be a change in that. Um, I think that people are kind of sick of the twenty four seven outrage talk shows that. Uh, the three mainstream cable networks have turned into uh, sort of uh, the three just mentioned there uh, where, you know, their, their format is, uh, you know, essentially here's a headline and then here's a panel of five or six people who are going to argue about it for the next 10 minutes. Uh, I think that those organizations or those outlets don't do a very good job of, of informing people of the facts about what's going on in the world. And because uh, echo chamber, yeah, they're well. They're either creating echo chambers or they're creating, uh, uh, you know, debate tournaments or whatever you want to call it. Whereas, one thing we do at One American News, our format is vastly different. Uh, in that, on a, in a typical hour, we'll show uh, twelve to fifteen stories, and we're doing other than you know, other than our opinion shows in the evening, we're doing hard news packages: who, what, where, when, why, and you know, three minutes or less per package. So we're not simply Stating our opinions, we're putting out uh, fact-based journalism, and we're doing so in a in a capacity that the viewer is able to then get more stories per hour than they would uh, if they're watching one of these outrage networks that just wants to talk about one thing and argue about it. I find it to be true, and I I love watching you guys, and I find it that I actually learn a lot more when I watch your channel and get my news from you guys and you're providing just so many different stories on a, a very broad spectrum hitting a lot of cool topics and yeah i mean for the most part i find them to be pretty balanced i think the balanced network these days is oan <laughs> i agree and, and i'm just curious um do you see the use of maybe some of the anti-mask laws that were used to stop the ku klux klan another democrat organization or the occupy movement which um it was used a little bit there. It was mostly used to destroy the KKK. Do you see some of the anti-mask laws maybe coming back to stop this, or do the Democrats have no stomach to stop this? Well, here's what's incredible uh, to answer your question, is that those laws that were passed to uh, eradicate this racist group, the KKK, a lot of them are actually still on the books, believe it or not, in many states. Yeah, well, some of them were struck uh, down. Some of them were struck down. New York was not. Okay, so I'm not as familiar with New York, but I know that in Washington, D.C., and I've looked this up, that, that law is still on the books for anti-masking, yes. call them unmasking laws, but it's not enforced. It's not enforced by police, not enforced by law enforcement. Uh, we have a variety of different law enforcement agencies, as you can imagine, in Washington, D.C., because we have dueling uh, federal and municipal jurisdictions. But, they're all, but they're, all, they're all bogus if Congress wants to act. Congress allows that all to exist. If, if the Speaker of the House wants that to end, they can literally end it with one vote. Yeah, I think that those type of laws absolutely should be enacted because I've happened to be at events where 
I can uh, I can see people that you know, and I've studied this group in DC. I've tracked them for several years now, so I know which individuals are part of Antifa and which ones aren't. And you can see that when they don't have their masks on, uh, they're much more peaceful. They're much less violent. They're much less belligerent uh, because they know they're you know obviously they're on film in DC. We've got cameras everywhere. Uh, whatever they do is going to be captured. And this is the reason that they use the masks. Uh, this, is, this is tactical on Antifa's perspective. They use this in order to uh, protect the members of their group. They call them the black block tactics. Uh, and so certain members of a black block will then commit violence or they'll commit um, destruction of property. And in Antifa circles, they refer to this as direct action. So, but those who commit direct action will then be able to slip back into the uh, into the crowd, into the mix, to make it harder for law enforcement to be able to identify which one actually committed this action. You saw this with the horrific attack on Andy No. If you actually go through that video, you can see uh, they use a tactic known as milkshaking. This originated in Europe and then migrated to the U.S., tactical TTP transfer, so uh, tactics, techniques, and procedures transfer from uh, terrorists in, in Europe and England coming into the U.S., where the milkshake is thrown first to blind, confuse, disorient uh, the victim, the target. So they, they throw the milkshake at the face, at the eyes to disorient them. Then other individuals pop out from the black block, also masked, also gloved. In that case, they were using leaded, padded gloves uh, that are you know, essentially a form of an assault weapon uh, to strike him in the head. Uh, Andy No, of course, uh, suffered uh, brain damage from this. He w- did have a brain bleed. He, I've, I've, I've met him since then. I've had chance to speak with him. He is undergoing uh, neurological therapy. He's gotten multiple tests since then. He's having memory problems. He's having speech difficulties. He's seeing a speech therapist. Uh, this is all tactical by Antifa. They use the By the way, the but he's not giving first. up. He's still reporting. Then they he's go back. Still no, no, no. He, he's, he's absolutely continued to fight, and, uh, and I commend his resilience, and I commend his his drive and ambition to expose this group and to expose their tactics for what they really are. You know, it's, inter- it's interesting you talked about how they, mo- they, they brought over the black block, you know, the, the procedures. What did you call it? Procedures? TTPs. Um, yeah. So uh, people don't know, this actually, the, the black block actually comes from the anarchist movement in Europe in the 80s where they were protesting uh, 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 evicting squatters. This was during, during um, uh, um, Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. So this all started wearing the black and beating people up and all that stuff all started during the Thatcherism 80s in England where they were protesting against squatters and a nuclear power, against abortion, um, um, uh, Starbucks and, 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 and Gap, and, and it moved over in the 90s to, to, to Seattle when they started blowing up uh, Gaps and Starbucks and Old Navies. I don't think people remember that in the 90s. Um, and uh, that's, when, that's when you started to see some of these corporate corporations buckle to these lunatics and when they started having their stores blown up and lit on fire is when they was when you started to see that corporation starting to move over into that social justice uh, warrior movement to where we are today that's how it started it started with these people you know that's absolutely right and i can i can tell you i'm actually working on a uh, on a book that tracks the history and tactics of antifa we're going to be breaking that down where as many people They've never heard of Antifa prior to, say, 2016, 2017. Uh, they actually form a much longer line of uh, violent communist radicals that have existed throughout the world, that have existed in, in small parts 
in, uh, in the United States uh, and even harken back to the anarchist movement of the 1800s. William McKinley, the President McKinley, was actually assassinated by an, a member of that anarchist movement in the late 1800s. And so uh, this is a movement that's been around for a long time. These are the people they identify with now, and it's, it's from those teachings of the past that, they, that uh, they derive their ideology and their tactics of today. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you know, changing their names, this is something that, that communists have been doing since the beginning. I mean, the Bolsheviks changed their names to the old Russian Communist Party, and then they changed that name to the old Union Communist Party when that fell out of fashion. Then they changed it to the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. So they, they've been, they, the, 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 the progressive movement, which is where all these people are found. I mean, FDR, Hitler, Mussolini, and Mao were all fighting to be the progressive leader pre-World War II. There were a few years there where the four of them were all, in, in like the pages of the New York Times even, were all you know, you know, louding each other on, on what they were doing in their own countries and saying how they were going to one-up the other. Uh, many of the uh, original ideas that Hitler and Mussolini had are taken from FDR's uh, policies here. Um, FDR was known to say he liked one of Mussolini's um, uh, 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 progressive packages that he passed in Italy. Um, there were, and he wanted, and he was, he was trying to get Congress to pass something similar here. So there was, there was the I, the, the, the NRA, the National uh, Reclamation Act, or whatever it was called, was based, I think, on a, a Italian bill. So there were many, many of these cross. Um, pollinations of the early progressive movement and then they all kind of split off and went on their own way because they all thought they can get to utopia faster and they and one of the things that they use when they figure out that what they're doing is failing is they just repackage it under another name so antifa would just occupy wall street 10 years ago wasn't it i mean it's the same people yeah, essentially, that, that's absolutely correct. And what's interesting is that we've now had multiple occasions where members of the Occupy movement that have since sort of grown up and gotten out of those circles are now stepping forward uh, to classify them, to say that they should be classified as a terrorist organization or a terrorist movement uh, that have sort of... Um, Really recanted their views and are now stepping forward. You can find them uh, in multiple essays that have been written by by them, and they they paint uh, a very enlightening picture of the ideology and beliefs of these groups uh, and and these circles where they run. Uh, some of them, the Occupy movement was more geographic based than uh, the sort of online Antifa movement of today. Though we do see uh, various. Facebook groups, various Twitter groups that are aligned from a, a local perspective. Uh, the, the shooter, just take it back to the shooting uh, for a second, the Dayton shooter was a follower of a group called the Central Ohio Socialist Rifle Association, which is a, uh, a pro-Antifa uh, gun group that operates in the Dayton area. It doesn't, uh, he, I, I wasn't able to identify him. One of our canoes wasn't able to identify him in any of the pictures of their trainings, of their shootings that they've gone to, uh, but he was a follower of the group. And so we see their level of organizing also exists across geographic lines. And that is a major point of contention for law enforcement to be able to track these individuals because they can see uh, essentially the red flags before these things happen. 
and, and the Occupy Wall Street movement also has spun off into the DSA and YDS, the, the, the Democrat Socialists of America and the Young Democrat Socialists. Did you see that video of the, of the DSA? Um, um, uh, they just had their, uh, their meeting where, where they, they, got, they were getting yelled at for clapping or talking. Did you see that video? I, I did see that video. It seemed like they were... Uh, and these guys want to control the United States? By the talking, and then the other one was offended because the, you know, the gentleman had referred to the, the group as you guys, and he, he thought that was then gendered language. So right. I think the list of complaints was actually longer than the list of what they were actually trying to get done in terms of agenda items at that and meeting. Just, did you see what they had to do just to get a vote on whether they should ask people if they should announce their pronouns? That took like a half an hour because... It was like split, and they had to go to a one-by-one one vote, but then they, they weren't sure if they were supposed to vote on it. And these are the guys that want to control the entire United States. They can't figure out how to vote before, on whether to use him or her. These groups, and this is, this is, this is uh, you know, goes back to social justice warrior uh, ideology, their belief is a, an inverted system of an inverted hierarchy of victimization. So they believe in victimhood as their highest virtue. So if victimhood becomes their highest virtue, then you sort of have to do every time there's this group that comes around, you have to find sort of who is the greatest victim, and then that becomes the biggest victim then becomes, you know, sort of the moral uh, leader of, of any of these groups. It's, um, you know, when we used to track uh, counterterrorism in the military, you know, typically they would find one of the leaders of the Shura Council would be the person who had studied the, the Quran the most, so the person who, you know, someone could quote the entire Quran, uh, who could, uh, who could had the entire thing memorized, they would be seen as sort of a religious leader, someone they could go to for, uh, for dispute resolution. So you're seeing this in, in the same sense with these groups, only their hierarchy, their, their system of values is based around victimization. Right. What's interesting was, which I, what I found interesting of, of the DSA, was that they actually use Robert's Rules of Order which is completely contrary to what they believe. They should be using like a consensus process, which is a different way to run a meeting. They, they should be using pure 51% pure rules. They should not be using both. Jack, you know oh, the hurricane? Yeah, for, Jack, oh, you know no, the no, no, sorry, step aside for a uh, second there. Oh, okay. They should be using like a, a, the cons a consensus process, like 51%. They shouldn't be using Robert's Rules of Order. They're socialists. Yeah, I think they'll probably end up having to, to come up with some kind of new system uh, that, that fits their own sort of uh, different ideals as they're working towards a new type of politics. What I did think it was interesting that I saw from their video was there was a, a heated discussion they were having about whether or not they wanted to form their own party or to continue working within the Democrat Party. And it seemed like, for now, they wanted to stay within the Democrat Party, um, which certainly means that they'll have an effect on the 2020 election coming up, the primary, you just spoke about the Democrat candidates buying right now. Uh, it'll be interesting to see on a state-by-state -state level, then, what effect these DSA activists and volunteers have on the voting base in the Democrat primaries. And I think that's a big reason that you're, you know, as you noted earlier, as you highlighted, Dr. that they are moving towards the left. Even Joe Biden, the guy who is seen as more of a conservative Democrat, who is seen as more of a moderate, uh, 
is now moving further to the left that is changing his opinion, changing his stance on a variety of issues in order to acclimate to the sort of new normal of the social justice left. Right. I mean, I mean, it's, I, 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 by the way, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with them staying in the Democrat Party. I mean, it's very similar to, you know, in the, in the 70s when conservatives were having the same argument that they should leave the Republican Party. And I think Reagan famously said, we should, we should, we should not go to leave the Republican Party, but to, to join, make it stronger, and a re, uh, I think it was a revitalized Republican Party or something like that. He had some, there was some, there's some quote out there about, you know, revitalizing the Republican Party and staying in the Republican Party. Um, I, 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 I just thought it was hilarious that these guys literally couldn't get, couldn't figure out whether to use him, her, it, they, them without like a 40-minute vote, and they want to control this entire country. I just thought it was wild. And these are the guys that, these are the same people that are part of Antifa. I mean, it, it's, it's... Well, maybe, not to be glib, but maybe, maybe the people of Antifa were driven nuts by having to go through all those votes. That, that might be true. I mean, it's interesting that these, these Antifa people, I mean, it, it's the, the Antifa people, what the people in Antifa need to understand is that they're the first guys to go when, when the socialists take over. The ones that don't fall in line, I mean, you go look at what happened in communist Russia and communist China. Those stormtroopers in the beginning, same with the Nazis. The stormtroopers that didn't fall in line, they were the first ones executed. Nobody wants troublemakers, especially socialists. Yeah, you saw that uh, predominantly with the Chinese Cultural Revolution, which was a situation where uh, even after, almost 15 years after the founding of communist China, that Chairman Mao launched a new revolution after the original revolution uh, in which he decided to wipe out his political rivals and wipe out their supporters uh, by launching the Cultural Revolution in the 1960s, which really only died with, or ended with his death. Um, and in this, you saw a massive purge of high-level communist officials. You saw purges at the local levels, and you saw groups uh, such as one called the Red Guards, which really operates very similar to the Antifa groups that you see today in the United States uh, in the sense that they would target people that they believed were not um, in support of communist ideals. They would target people that were not in support of, you know, full-fledged support of Chairman Mao and his communism. And that, regard, and that even if you had just been accused of a crime uh, of, of speaking out, right, so this is thought crime, uh, if you spoke out against the chairman or if you spoke out against uh, the revolution, even if someone accused you of that, right, that was enough to confirm your guilt. And then you were, you were made to conduct what's called struggle sessions that would either be in front of your family, in front of your school, in front of your work uh, center, or in some cases public. Uh, sessions that were held in, in, in soccer fields, soccer stadiums. Uh, and sometimes if the uh, self-incrimination was not conducted to, uh, to, their, to their satisfaction, there was a public execution at the end of these things. And so the idea of a communist cultural revolution coming to the United States, people need to understand the history of these things, understand the powerful, dark, uh, very ancient, very powerful forces that they are tapping into, uh, just in terms of the, the, the psyche of the human mind, that you know, people had considered China once to be a, uh, you know, a peaceful, idyllic uh, kingdom only uh, a couple of centuries before, but then with the fall of the dynasty and the rise of the communist revolution, it very quickly 
turned into uh, neighbor against neighbor, brother against brother, violence in the streets of China. And it was all because of these ideas, this communist ideology. Yeah, I mean, you had, you had the Great Purge after Lenin died, Stalin had, and you had Trotsky getting assassinated. So these people tend to, tend to kill those around themselves when they get into power. Like if that lunatic that was screaming about how he's getting triggered because of hissing, can you imagine that, that, that snowflake being in charge and then Antifa going and breaking glass and stuff? He, and, and this guy actually had power? He would have these people killed. Like these, these people are, are, are they're insane. That's right, and that's a big reason that as uh, as someone who identifies as a political conservative myself, I'm center-right, that we always make sure to call out extremism, whether it be uh, online extremism in terms of the Antifa movement, the QAnon movement, the white nationalist movement, call out this extremism and always promote nonviolence, always attack people who use violent rhetoric, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on. Uh, there was a hashtag that was trending on Twitter just in the wake of these events that was called Massacre Mitch uh, and said Massacre Mitch McConnell, yeah, I saw that. majority leader, a CNN commentator, a New York Times writer, actually wrote that hashtag Massacre Mitch. And so I think a lot of people realize that the danger of using violent rhetoric and the danger of using these uh, violent means, right, we, um, uh, referring to uh, uh, immigration centers as concentration camps, uh, evoking, you know, the Holocaust, you know, these are not well-reasoned, well-intentioned debates about public policy. This is, this is radicalization, and unfortunately, there are people who take cues from that and then go and commit violence. And that is why we always have to make sure that whether or not we agree with someone's politics, we always embrace and stand for nonviolence. 100%. Jack, let me ask you one more question before we let you go, okay? We've had an amazing time with you, and we hope that you'll come back again. (laughs) I feel like we overstepped our uh, chance over here, but I have one more question, okay? I know you're really busy, and we have to let you go back to your schedule. Um, you played video games probably in your, in, your, in your teenage years, and maybe you still even play video games. I know that I still do. I was just actually finished uh, a really great game uh, on my PS4 Pro, Titanfall. Did you get a chance to play that, Titanfall? Really fun. I, have well, I tell you what, uh, though, um, I, I grew up playing video games, though I, I'm not someone who still plays them. I just I don't have the time anymore. I just don't have the time. So I don't have the time either, and I stay away because that I know that like once I get like into a game, like it's like kind of like as what they say that it is kind of addicting. So like I'll get like stuck on a game, and then it will like consume my life for like two three days till I Let's finish say, like, the game. There were you know? times where um, you know when I was in the military, I'd be on deployment, uh, like when I was at Guantanamo Bay, where uh, or or you know on a ship somewhere in the Navy, where you you have a lot of downtime and you don't you know, typically have much else to do, whether you're on a ship or you're stuck on Guantanamo Bay, you can't go off into Cuba. So uh, that would probably be the last time that I spent any, spent any significant time playing uh, uh, video games just because we didn't really have much else to do there. 100%. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that it's fair what they're doing now that they're attributing violence in America to video games? And I'm, and I'm neutral. You know, I, I don't know. That seems like a knee-jerk response to me. Uh, I think 
you really, if you want to talk about the, the question of violence as uh, an issue in society, I mean, there's so many factors that, can, that could possibly contribute to violence. Um, you know, we found out this, this singer, uh, or excuse me, the shooter was a singer in a, you know, an underground uh, metal band that had very violent lyrics, right? So you could easily turn around and say, oh, maybe it's a heavy metal that, you know, that did this. I and mean, people used to talk about that with Marilyn Manson, the Columbine shooting in 1999. Um, you could also talk about every Hollywood movie that's out there. Every TV show that's out there is about somebody getting killed for something, good guys killing bad guys. Uh, or, you know, bad guys killing other bad guys, and you're supposed to root for one side or the other. So we do live in a society where there are multiple media outlets that feature, uh, you know, it's, it's a feature, not a bug, uh, violence and widespread violence. And in some cases, it is glorified. And so I think to, to point to one aspect of our media entertainment complex, that being video games, and say, oh, this one, this one specifically is the problem, and not mention any of those others, whether it be lyrics or, or movies or video games, and not try to understand what's really going on. I, I just, I don't think that's fair. Okay. Well, anyway, Jack Posobiec, thank you so much for coming on our show here with, uh, on the Ma Show with uh, Jake Tribe Radio. We really enjoyed this conversation. We hope that we will share many more conversations with you. Please come back again. <laughs> We'd love to have you again. And as, as always, it's really a pleasure to talk to you, schmooze, and get uh, really a lot of amazing insights that you have to offer. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. I'm happy to come and, back on here on J-Tribe. And, 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 one, and one more thank you also for your service to our country, of course. We appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yes. All right. Thank you so much for being on the show. So, Kesky, that was very, very interesting. No? I'm telling you, he's... Are you muted again? I think, I think we got muted. Um, I think Kesky got muted. Um, do you hear me now? Do you hear me there yeah, now? Kesky's so right okay. now traveling, which is why we've had a little bit of trouble with Kesky's uh, uh, um, uh, microphone. He's, he's traveling for, 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 for the claw right now. Um, and uh, that, that's all I could say about it for right now. But... Um, the 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 fact of the matter is 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 people don't know Jack is one of the few um, reporters that is actually in depth going into this entire Antifa movement. And it's uh, very important that that he you know get heard. So that's why we decide to have him on. And uh, yeah, and that book, by the way, coming out soon. Hopefully, we're going to know about it more. We're going to have him hopefully back on the show when it's closer to publication. He'll tell us all about his book. And that's such an important publication because that so many people don't understand, especially the Jewish community, by the way, don't understand the Antifa movement, don't understand the roots the very of all of these things. Very anti-Semitic. Of course. It doesn't stop, by the way, Jews from being involved, unfortunately. Oh, I mean, what do you mean? Uh, uh, if not now, is involved with them. Yeah, 100%. That's exactly my point. And, and by the way, if not now, uses a very similar, um, a, at least from my perspective, uses a very similar strategy um, to Antifa. With, if not now, although it was founded, as we learned when we spoke to Natan by Simone Zimmerman, it now happens to have like its own 
um, each chapter has its own leadership and its own, has its own drives, you know? Well, that's what, that's how, that's how, that's how it, it, that's how it, it, that's how these organizations tend to run everywhere. I mean, you have the same thing on our side with, with um, and I would never compare um, these, these groups with, you know, with these groups, but the same structure is used by Turning Points USA. I mean, it's, it's, you want to grow your organization to where the, the national organization is, is really taking care of more of a national tone. But what you have here, though, is that they're using that structure to do nefarious nefarious activities. That's yeah. the difference. They're, they're trying to make it look, because what they do is these organizations take on other names and then they make it look like, oh, look, there's 75 different organizations that are doing that when they're really just chapters. So it'll be like, right, oh, 100%. look. 100%. That, that's, that's the problem with, with when they do it. 100%. And I think that one of the things that we have to realize is how all of these different groups, at the end of the day, they all have one agenda, and that is to disrupt and replace what we have now, which is Capitalism. A, booming economy, a booming economy. Did you see, by the way, the Dow re- completely rebounded from that drop? Yeah, because you that, have Larry Kudlow doing this. Larry Kudlow's no, no fool. Yeah, and, and, and that's... Amazing because it means its economy really is strong, and China's devaluation of their currency was not enough to deter investment. That it was able to just bounce right back up, and I mean, that's you spoke to Larry Kudlow about this, didn't you? Probably I actually did. Life. Yeah, yeah, and and he said to me the the simple thing that we're gonna fight for our country, and we're gonna fight for our farmers, and we're gonna fight for our economy, and we're gonna stop this Chinese economic terrorism, which based on our conversation with um, with Scott. Jack is Jack, yeah. With yeah, with Jack is just obviously just part and parcel of their agenda to propagate communism and socialism and across the world and they're trying to fight this quote unquote sleeping giant in a way that is actually effective, which is economically. Right. And this is something that, that, that ties right into Antifa and this whole movement. And, and a lot of this stuff, you know, they, they're calling the guy in El Paso a right-winger. That right-winger, which he might be, we, we, no one's really sure. But I can tell you that from reading his, from reading, from reading the, what he wrote, it, it, he clearly has a disdain for capitalism. And he definitely has a Correct. disdain for liberty. So though he may agree with some of the... Um, perceived, and, and again, the racism that is supposedly on the right is completely contrived by the media. It does not exist. The right was responsible, the, 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 the KKK, you had to be a registered Democrat to be in the KKK. Um, the, 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 the Republican Party literally, and I'm not using this in the, in the way that, that you know, um, the, the newer generations use the term literally. I mean literally, the Republicans went to war with the Democrats over slavery. Um, it was a, a completely partisan issue. The Republican Party was started to end slavery. It was its purpose. Um, it Correct. Was, it was the party behind uh, women's suffrage. It was the, 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 the party against the Jim Crow laws. And anyone that tells you differently doesn't know what they're talking about. And uh, we're going to have some people on in the next few weeks that are going to talk about this from within the black community 
um, that we have uh, 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 coming up uh, that we're working on getting that are going to talk exactly about this and about how the right has never been a movement that believes in any of this stuff. So with that, we're going to a little bit over an hour this week. We hope you guys enjoyed uh, listening to Jack, and uh, have a great week. Yeah, we're hoping that uh, you guys uh, enjoy our podcast. We want you guys to come back, get your friends, get, spread the word. The more listeners we have, the, more, the better uh, uh, people we're able to bring on the show, which, to be honest, is funny because uh, we have pretty darn good uh, people on here. I was allowed to say darn? Shoot. <laughs> we're allowed to say darn. We're allowed to say darn. Uh, say darn. Everybody, let your friends know that they can, you know, listen. They can, they can listen to all the previous shows. Um, I know last week's podcast was pulled down due to a technical glitch in the recording. I know they're working to get it back up, but all the uh, episodes are, are, are should be up uh, by by the airing to, uh, of of this show. I know they're working on it. They're hoping to have it uh, ready by the time the show goes goes onto the uh, list as well. Um, so everyone have a great night, and we'll see you next week, Tuesday night, on J Tribe Radio. You've been listening to The Moss Show. Broadcasted from the Socialist Republic of New York. But please, don't tell our governor he asked us to leave. They have no place in the state of New York. Tune in again next week, Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. Or go to J Tribe Radio to listen to the podcast anytime on Play, iTunes, and Stitcher.